Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Okay, and we are back on Conspiranormal. Uh, got uh, Mr. Bobby Church here, and uh, we'll have a kind of a interesting announcement at the end of the show tonight. But uh, as usual, uh, lately I like to get into it just like with the guests right off the bat. And uh, I have someone on that uh, I'm real excited to have on. Uh, and I've known about this person that we're going to talk to for a very long time. Uh, since probably about 10 years now, uh, listening to a, an older radio show back in the day. And uh, this is a very interesting story, and, and also a subject that we haven't covered um, in a while on this show, which is kind of going, delving to the era of uh, the area of violent haunting. So I'm kind of glad that Bobby's here for this, because mm-hmm. he really uh, enjoys that subject too. So, and, so I want to just bring on Mr. Stephen Lachance, uh, Stephen, welcome to Conspiracy Normal. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, uh, what I want to get into, uh, first of all, we're going to talk about primarily uh, about your latest book, which is Blessed Are the Wicked. But uh, you had a book before that, that uh, the Blessed Are the Wicked are, is the sequel to, mm-hmm. and that is The Uninvited. And I want to take some time, because a lot of our listeners may not be familiar with you, and your story. So I want to take some time to talk about 
what happened to you uh, and your family when you moved into a house in Union, Missouri. Sure. And kind of where you were when you moved in, like what was going on in your life mm -hmm. and kind of the situation that was happening there. Sure. Hey, that's no problem at all. I, I, I think it's important to um, talk about that before you talk about the other book. I mean, it's just, you know, I wanted to put that book as um, part of the uninvited. I wanted it to be uninvited to be part one and then blessed to be part two. Um, so, yeah, they're pretty much the same book, but they, they handle things in different ways. So, Yeah, exactly. They're, they're really a corollary to each other. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, Take us, like, from, like, where you were, um, what the situation was like for you at home, and then when you moved into this house, um, what happened to you there? Well, we, we were, um, I was, just, I became a single dad quite uh, unexpectedly and suddenly. Um, being, I was, had three children. At the point that the uninvited starts, we were living in, uh, we were living in, uh, an apartment and I would look out over the balcony and there was just a parking lot there. My kids were getting to the age that they really needed a place to run. And I was yeah. kind of, the, I was a kind of parent that sent the kids out to the street to play. And yeah, so, right. <laughs> yeah. So I went looking for a house and I found this house in Union, Missouri. And it was, um, seemed everything like everything that I could want for kids. It, it reminded me of my grandma's house, really. Uh, it was one of the main attractions, I think, to it, now looking back at it. Um, but anyway, we moved into it on May 18th, 2001. Shortly after moving into it, um, strange things started happening, like uh, pictures would stay on the walls. People would walk in front of the house across the street. Um, we were, you know, the, we kind of felt like outsiders in the neighborhood a little bit. We would come home and find all of our lights on in our house every night. Um, even one time I took, I went through the house and turned all the lights off and came home and all the lights were on again. And, uh, things started happening with the kids. My young son started, you know, started, I found him one day in the middle of the kitchen screaming, um, claiming something chased him upstairs from the basement. And all this time I was doing the, the parental thing, you know, um, that sort of thing. It was like, uh, you know, something chased you up from the basement. That's the, the proverbial basement monster that we all dealt with as children, you know. Um, right. I, I, I try, you know, everything, everything they would tell me, I would find a reason and excuse for until one point, at one point I saw it for myself and it changed everything, everything that was happening. And at one point it locked um, all three children in a room. Uh, bedroom downstairs on the downstairs level and wouldn't let me um, in the room to get to them. took a, a period of time for me to get through the door, which, you know, was a, it was a basic wooden door, and I stand six foot seven. I'm a football player type build, and I was throwing my body against the door. And after the event, I was bruised from the shoulder down, um, trying to get in their doors, like throwing myself against the concrete wall, if you really want to know. Um, but once I did get in the room, I got the kids out, and uh, it went and I, to my daughter, who was in the room, too, and she was in shock. I grabbed her, and there was a door behind me that had not opened, and I grabbed her, and I turned around to leave the room, and the door slammed open, and I just kept going and then turned around to see what was going on. So then I moved in, you know, we moved away from there, and then during this, I'm really, really capsulizing this, but we 
we moved away from there and uh, it followed us. And um, the things continued. Uh, nightmares, um, strange occurrences. You, you would find the kids would find me standing in the middle of a room, just staring into space in the middle of the night. Um, just really weird, weird things. And I, I actually met up with a woman that lived in the same house that I did, uh, that I did the Union House about three years later. And um, she asked me if I would come in and try to help her and try to get myself help. And since we were both going through something, I thought it was a good idea. But it was probably, looking back now, it was probably the worst mistake I ever made. But um, mm. it is what it is. So um, I, I did that, and um, she she went through a very, very, very dark, dark time. We both did. Um, it took us down to really, really some deep, deep, dark levels. So, um you know, at one point, at one point, she ended up on my doorstep on Halloween 2005 with a gun behind her back to shoot me in the head. So there you go. <laughs> that was a quick version, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I, I want to ask about, um, you know, first of all, had you had any interest in the paranormal before that time? And you see, also, that's the question everybody asks. You know, and the yeah. thing is, is, it's hard to explain it. Because right. hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think you see this. You know, when you guys re-bless it, you're going to see it. Um, hindsight's twenty twenty. There was stuff going on for quite a bit before that. Um, you know, the the first the first time I ever thought about ghosts was with something that happened years before. But during that period of time, right then at that moment, going into it, no. No, my, my focus was, you know, raising kids and, and working. I was a corporate trainer. I, I worked a lot, you know, and that was my focus. Paranormal, you know, never never crossed my mind. As a matter of fact, I, I, I don't think I ever knew the word paranormal until that happened. Um, I just knew that there was something going on and I need to figure it out. So, yeah, I guess it's the easiest so, way to talk about it. I mean, we had little things happen beforehand, yes. So when you uh, started to experience these phenomena going on in the house, did you uh, necessarily think anything of them, or was it just kind of like a more of a trying to explain everything rationally? I tried, you know, at that point it was, yeah, it was, you know, I, I, I took that rational stance that I think most guys do, you know. Um, right. You know, it's, you know, I always talk about this in my lectures because I tell people, you know, we're taught a certain way in a certain belief, and especially my generation. I mean, the younger generation is not so much like this. But ghost and hauntings and stuff was not something that was discussed um, when I was a kid. You know, and if you, came out, if you came out of the basement and you claimed something chased you out of the basement, it was, you know, no, that's your imagination. When we're taught to teach our children, it's your imagination and, you know, don't let your mind get away from you, that sort of thing. However, there was no basis in any of my upbringing that I could tell you, religious, not, you know, parental, whatever, that taught me how to deal with an actual haunting. So the only thing I knew how to do was rationalize at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Absolutely. I mean, I think I would be in the same position even now, you know, since I know so much about, about this material, even even now, if something started to happen in my house, I'd still try to rationally explain it away. Well, I think, think that's but I think that's good though that you do that right. because you know doing the, the the work I do now, 
I mean, if, I'm a different person from back then to now because, you know, now when I go into some place, I know I'm there to help people, whether it's paranormal, whether it's not, whether it's just something else going on. Uh, my job is to find them help and help them. You know, so I have to be the biggest skeptic in the room when I step into that house. You know, because if I'm not, I'm going to miss something somewhere that might be the key to helping someone. Uh, I did a case a long, long time ago with a little girl, and this little girl was claiming she had something coming in her window at night, and the parents would find her, and the next morning she'd be bruised and such. Um, I, first thing you do with a child is you have them, you know, can you draw what, what, what's bothering you? What are you seeing? And she drew this thing, and it was um, a big nail form, and it had genitalia on it. You know, mm. so immediately, anybody that's taken any simple, even simple college psychology knows that that's a sign of sexual abuse. Um, what it turned out to be with this case is the parents found out that her uncle was climbing in her bedroom window at night with a ski mask on, and he was raping her. Jeez. Now, if, had well, I not had I not been the biggest skeptic in that room, this is why I'm saying this to you. Had I not been the biggest skeptic in that room, look what I would have missed. Yeah, you know. So you would yeah, have been explained as something supernatural or as a ghost. And meanwhile, the uh, uncle probably could have kept getting away with it. Right. Exactly. I mean, these are these are really bad cases and really bad things that happen. I and mean, it's not always paranormal. I think people think if you live through <clears throat> a paranormal event yourself that you view the world as uh, totally paranormal, which I don't think that's the case. And I mean, in fact, I know it's not talking to the others that have gone through such things. Um, it makes us a little bit, we have to be a little bit more on the skeptical side because we have to be able to discern in any given moment what is paranormal and what is not within our own lives. Because you cannot live your life thinking everything is paranormal because it just simply is not. However, right. you have to be able to, to distinguish and discern, is the discern word, the discernment of what is, what is actually paranormal and not, because that paranormal for us can be very detrimental. Two questions to you about the case um, at the Union House. Sure. Um, there, was, uh, th there was actually a physical manifestation that uh, physically manifested in front of one of your sons, I believe. Mm -hmm. And also, and I think this is going to go into uh, uh, something that we're going to talk about later, but uh, the landlord himself was just kind of this creepy guy. And uh, there's a lot of, it's something you talk about in the Blessed of the Wicked, that, uh, that he may have been, you know, helping to set and bring people in there. It's actually yeah, a catalyst to that. Um, yeah. yeah, he was. And, you know, and as a matter of fact, he, he in real life is a she. And the reason that he's a he in the books is because when I wrote The Uninvited, the first time, if those of you remember who have read the book, um, there's, a, there's an email at the end of the book that, that is from the landlord. It's the very last email that I got, that I got from them. And it says, I, I hear the children running around the upstairs roundabout. Um, you know, the laughing and playing, little angel screams and quotations, and I hope their guardian angels are looking over them tonight. That email is an actual email. It came directly out of my email. And when I put that in the book, they said, well, we'll let you, it's either this email or the landlord turns into a man. And I said, well, why? And they said, well, you know, legal edit at that point. 
um, said it, and they were you know really really strong about that. So um, it's actually a woman. What they did is we just changed really <laughs> not a whole lot. I mean, we would literally in most cases just change the he the she's to he. Um, so what you see in the uninvited is really pretty much what she was. So. Hmm. And and the and you said and there was a manifestation that it manifested to your son sure. as well. Sure. Uh, that manifestation is a little bit different. If you've seen the Discovery show A Haunting Fear House, which is about the case, yeah. you will, it's a little different. They show it happening in a hallway. Um, it wasn't a hallway. It was a stairway. Um, they show it. He, he, he described it, and I'm going to describe it to you. Um, he described it as clown-like. Um, he described it as having no eyes. Um, he described it with this, this horrible smile um it came down it came out of a black mist and formed and came down the stairs after it now what you saw on discovery channel was a little bit different because they turned him into the killer clown from it um yeah <laughs> now you if you, you, you understand the, the history with that child you'll understand that he was always afraid of clowns like you never take him to like a grid a store opening or the circus or anything like that they freaked him out and so yeah. I always, in my mind, you know, and he, he might disagree with me now that he's in his 20s, but I always, in my mind, looked at that and, you know, that is a child trying to explain something they couldn't explain. So he picked the one thing that he knew that it reminded him of, and that's what he went with. Um, and that's never explained in, 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 the, uh, in the show. And I think that's a shame because it says a lot about children and what to explain. Um, if you know anything about de demonic manifestation, um, these type things, these type of negative apparition type things, we, you know, they're often described in much the same terms. Uh, we hear quite often uh, that, you know, that it, it, it didn't look real. It looked clown-like in a way, or um, it was all red. Its face was all red. And, it, you know, so I can see where he probably got that actually now. Had there been any history that you'd have known that you knew of before that y'all moved in the house, or anything you found out shortly after uh, that you moved in, you started seeing things kind of going on? Did you did you reach out yourself and uh, try to try to find some history on the house? Yeah, we did. We did. We did almost. You know, when 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 it became quite clear it was paranormal. Now moving into it, no. Um, I didn't yeah. do the George Lutz thing, you know, with George Lutz, he moved, he claimed he moved into Amityville because, you know, and he knew the things that he was, he was putting his kids in right. beds where people were killed. I mean, that's crazy. Um, yeah. you know, yeah. I never would have done something like that. You know, um, I had no clue. <laughs> I mean, really had no clue. And, uh, so when we got in there and the things started happening, I started, I started looking and, uh, my brother, my, my 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 youngest brother started looking in uh, with me as well, and we what we found out was kind of disturbing at that point. And uh, what we found out at the first was that the house itself was built on the land of a Civil War captain who was quite known actually. Uh, in in that Civil War captain we were living where the house was built was actually on the location of where the slave quarters was for his land. Um, so that was disturbing in itself. Uh, that was the first thing that we found out. The next thing we found out in 1974 across the street, there was a house 
um, where a woman uh, took a hatchet to her husband, an axe, cut him up, and then took a shotgun and put it in her mouth and blew her head off. Good yeah. Lord. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you know, there's these things, and then, you know, the county poorhouse was, you know, which is now a nursing home, which is in the city park, which is city park. I mean, uh, they, they buried people in a mass grave, and the city park was only like five, 500 feet, maybe 600 feet away. Um, this parking lot where they buried the bodies, and everybody knows if you don't know where your family members buried in Union, they're probably buried in the city park, under the parking lot for the, the city municipal pool. That's where it is. I mean, so what I'm telling you is there was a lot of reasons at that point to look. I, I couldn't get any clear answers because it was like people were trying to hide it from us. They didn't, you know, I would go to the library and I would go for the, the, the lamb plots that they have libraries. And the librarian would jump in front of me and grab them before I could get to them. Uh, there was a book that, would be, that we actually talked about the history of Union that was sold, that it was handwritten. And I went to get that and she grabbed it from me. Um, and, you know, I would go to the city hall and I would, I would do some uh, looking in there to see, you know, ownership and all of the things that, you know, go along with a house that you should do. And they would, they would send me to another office. And actually one time we caught them calling another office, telling them we were on our way. Right. So, I mean, you know, that sort of thing, you know, I mean, it wasn't until later that we actually found out a lot more when one of the captain's family members came forward. Um, would you like to go, would you, can you go into what you found out there? Sure, sure. I mean, you know, I, I kind of, you kind of cracked me up because I, I, I kind of talk about him like he's almost the paranormal deep throat, you know, <laughs> because yeah. one of the things that we had to agree when we talked to him is that we could talk about what he said. And actually, I don't even think I say he's a he in the book. But we could talk about what he said, but we could not at any given time give his um, name because he was afraid that um, their family, there's, some, there's a lot of stuff mixed up there. And uh, he was afraid that, you know, even today, um, the family would, would probably retaliate to the point and even maybe to the point of killing him. Um, but he sat down with us with pictures and, and all kinds of things and told us all the story, which was, um, that uh, the captain, his wife, Minerva, who we knew who she was, we know where they're buried, everything. Um, Minerva, Minerva actually became uh, pregnant by one of the slaves. And actually, it was after the Civil War, so they, you couldn't t technically consider them slaves, but if you know anything about history, they really were still war. They were just freed by name. Um, so would they have been like probably, yeah, because that was one thing in the book that I, I was wondering about was like that part is, is dated 1874, and I was like, well, slavery was over by then. 1918, so kind of, yeah, slavery was over, what, well, it was 1868. 1865, yeah. Yeah, 65, around 68, that time. yeah, around that time, but, you know, but the thing is, is what you got to keep in mind is slavery was over pretty much by name only at that point. I mean, yeah. you know, you had these slaves that were on these properties that had nowhere to go, so they stayed. And I mean, if you right. look through the history of all that, that's how we get into sharecropping and all the other things. Um, she actually became, you know, and it's very hard to, you know, to explain that at first. Some people want you to understand it. You're like, yeah, I guess so. Um, but she became pregnant by one of them. And uh, she had a baby, and the baby came out mixed. And when it was born mixed, the captain actually went over the deep end 
uh, one of the things it was he considered it a huge betrayal. Now you got to remember, this guy was judge, jury, the head of the morals committee, and all of this in this town. He had founded this town. His his this would be a huge embarrassment to him. So he had the doctor kill his wife. The way he killed his wife is he had um, he had wire inserted between her ribs to puncture her lung. Now I imagine if you would think about that, how that would appear back then without the technology we have to do autopsies today, probably would have appeared like consumption that she died of or pneumonia of some sort. Um, right. You know, mm-hmm. so then you look at what he did to the baby. Is he, he he killed the baby? He 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 hung it from a tree in its christening gown. By the way, guys hung it by its feet, and he did this, and the reason he did it was so he would put out a message to people, do not cross me. You know, that was his last betrayal, is pretty much is what, I, what they, they said about it. Now, the thing is, is that um, before the wife died, they tried to get her to tell the captain which one of the slaves what it was that, um, that, that she had an affair with. And uh, she would not tell, so he lined up all the 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 the, the, the male the males, and he um, shot them all. Good lord! So there you go. And that's, that's really brutal. It was yeah, brutal. You know, they, they, you know when you when you do some research on him, by the way. And I'll give you the the real name of the captain. So if you're interested, you know, with the book we call him Cromwell. But his real name is John T. Crow. If you do some research on him and you find some stuff on him, he wasn't a very nice sort. I mean, I did some, there was some research that came forth that would, that talked about him and he, um, actually had some, uh, um, Confederate soldiers on his property that he was, that he was, um, hanging. And he hung them, making them think, you know, that that's how they were going to die, right? Or we're going to die by hanging. He hung them and then he shot them. So just to let you know, that's the kind of guy we're talking about. So, is this plantation still there? Or? <laughs> um, the plantation is not still there. I, you know, and the thing is, is um, uh, the, the 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 land was sold, and when it was sold, this is interesting. You guys will find this real interesting. I don't think this is in the either of the books. When the land was sold, it was sold to what this a man named A J S A E Y C C. And he became the first governor of Oklahoma. Interesting, okay. huh. you know. It's like it's you know, and I, it was it was so fun when you got it was kind of fun when you got into the research of the land and yeah. stuff because here's this individual that actually became quite famous in Oklahoma and he started you know there as well. So it was kind of interesting. I thought interesting. You know, it seemed that he would just have moved west at that time around that probably a little bit after that time, really, mm-hmm. and moved west to Oklahoma. Right. Um, well, what ended up happening to the general? Or the, uh, the captain, I'm sorry. Well, he um, two weeks before his death, um, he came back from Louisiana, where he went down to Louisiana to visit uh, the, the um, the, at one point she was a slave and then she became working for him. He went to visit her and she was a voodoo high priestess. Voodoo, we were getting into some voodoo and hoodoo here. And um, he saw her up until two weeks before his death, came home, and then died. Um, now, there is some question whether he is actually buried in that grave or not. Nobody is quite sure, according to the family. 
And then, you know, and then I said, you know, my thing was, well, you know, you could x-ray a grave to find out if there's his body. And they said, well, how would you know it was his body? So yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know from that point on. But that's, I do know what happened to him in the end. Now, there's another feel- story, too. Now, when you read, when you do research on him, they'll say he died in Beaver, Missouri, in uh, his homestead out there because he had two homesteads. They say he died out there, but um, the family is the one that put uh, some doubt onto that. And I, I'm not quite sure why they did that. Hmm. Stephen, there's two things um, that, that automatically make me think of that. First of all is the mm-hmm. baby in the christening gown. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, I remember seeing something on your website a long time ago that you guys, your group caught what you guys believed was a baby in a tree. Um, and also that you heard that you call it the union screaming house. And you kind of, your speculation is, is that the screaming could possibly have been the, the captain himself? Well, you know, it was, it was a singular, well, I always, I've, I've heard a couple different screams come from the house. One, at one time there was a, a, a sound, and it sounded to me, and my dad, my dad was with me too, sounded to me like a little girl scream. Um, there's been a woman scream, I've heard a woman scream, and, but I didn't hear a man scream. And the man scream to me has always been predominant when you heard it. And that, I mean, you know, when it, when it really got going, I mean, the dogs in the neighborhood and everything would start barking and stuff. And um, wow. the neighbor that lived across the street, um, at one point, it's kind of funny, he came to me years later because he had moved from there into a haunted house someplace else. And he was asking my advice on it. And I was I was real indignant with him at first, by the way. Because I'm like, you know, you lived across the street from me and you didn't tell me anything when I was moving in. I'm like, you didn't even you didn't, you know, you didn't even look out your blinds when this thing first started screaming at us, you know. And he said to me, he goes, he goes, you know, he goes, I had to live there. He goes, I knew you weren't gonna be there for long. He goes, you know, I had to, yeah, he said, he, he goes, so I knew people were coming to go, and he goes, so I had to live there. That's where I had to live. He goes, so I learned to ignore it. So and besides the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I kind of understood, and I think to a point, you know, after that, I was like, you know, would you do the same thing if you were in that situation, living across from Hell House, would you over your eyes to see what was going on there? And, and I was thinking, you know, you know, from a humanistic approach, maybe you probably would. Yeah. Was this the the same guy that lived in the house with the acting, or? No, yeah, this was a different house. This is actually a different house. It uh, was a little down from that. <clears throat> what uh, What makes you think that? I mean, just out of curiosity, like what 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 do you think that caused just the two homes? Do you think it's a region, or do you think there was? Maybe an Indian burial ground there before they had slavery there, or something like that. On because if it's just mainly your plot, of, like where your house was, and then maybe that house, or no, actually, uh, yeah, there was. You know, it seemed like the epicenter was there. Um, however, yeah. you know, you know, now after years of it, you know, people the stories there, people can see it, can hear about it, and stuff. No one ever talked about it, but. People have come forward, and it, there's a lot that goes on in that whole neighborhood. Um, right. That whole side of town, as a matter of fact. Uh, because one of the things that, that I didn't know living there until um, after leaving there was there's a tunnel system underneath the house and the town right there 
where the captain was bringing four slaves and he would make them think it was the Underground Railroad at that time, and then he would trap them and then he would resell them to their, their owners. Um, this guy was a real piece of work. He was a real piece of work. Do you see how he positioned himself? <laughs> he's a southern, he's a northern captain, but he's positioning himself with the south just in case, right? Yeah. Well, Missouri was a slave state, but it stayed in the Union. Right, right. You know, and it's like Missouri is an interesting, and I think that's why we see a lot of hauntings in Missouri anyway, um, because you you have a a situation there where you had um, literally brother fighting against brother. Um, Families would split down the middle, half go north, half go south, you know. Um, Missouri was a real bellwether state where the Civil War was concerned. Well, Stephen, I'll ask about the... Um, and I believe that this case that you went on with the exorcism that you describe in the book was also on that same land. Is that on the same land, on the same plot, yeah. This was a, this is one of the experiences that really stood out for me in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really frightening. Can you kind of go over that case? And I'm glad you said it? that, but thank you, because when, when, I, when I first put the manuscript into the publisher, they were like, um, I don't know if we understand why that's in there. And I'm like, trust me, there's a reason why it's in there. It's important, you know, um, just for the fact that it was, we, you know, that I actually ended up actually going through a case with an exorcism years later. Uh, we were brought to the case first because uh, we heard that um, the, the complaint was that the little girl's doll was telling her to smother her four-month-old brother. And that's why we came to the case to begin with. Um, okay. After getting to the case, though, in, in starting to look at it, uh, it became very clear very quickly that the attachment and possession, or whatever you want to call it, was uh, based around the mother. We did a taping of it. And a lot of times that I'll go into case, either the demonic, if it's a demonic or a negative case, it'll do one of two things. It'll either run and hide, or it will... Um, go crazy. And in this case, yeah. it was kind of dormant for me. But I could feel it. I mean, it's like, and it's not that I'm psychic or anything like that. It's just, I've been through this and I, I know what it feels like. I mean, it's just like hot and cold water. You learn that. I learned how this feels. And I knew there was something there because when uh, the, the mother would come into the room, the room would actually grow cold. You know, so I'm like, you guys, I said, we're not getting everything here. I said, why don't you go back and do a tape for me? And I said, you know, interview the mother again, interview her by herself. And I said, do a tape. So they were like, okay. So they went back and um, I said, I said, preacher back, which uh, he's a Baptist minister. And I said, and I said him in to do it. And so he's taping her and he's talking to her. And so he brings me back the tape and I'm listening to it. And all of a sudden, as she's talking, I start hearing voices kind of cut off of hers, you know, and you kind of add on top. And then you're hearing stuff like killer, 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 you know, that kind of thing. And then she says at one point on the tape, she goes, I walked into the kitchen and the refrigerator was open. And you hear this really deep, deep, deep voice. And it goes, I opened the refrigerator. And I would, at that point, at that point, I was like, oh, holy shoot. I'm like, we, you know, I'm like, you know, we got to get somebody in here. I've never, I've never been, I've never been too much of, too much of an ego where I didn't realize it was in over my head when I was in over my head. I was in yeah, over my right. head. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be one of those guys that just like, you know, 
And she's like, oh, I'm a demonologist. I'll exercise this demon right yeah. here. And he's like, no, no, let's get That's called experts. We get experts hey, into that. Hey, hey, Steven, Zach Baggins can do it now. He'll do it by himself. Yeah. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> I always crack up with somebody, you know, because they always look at me like, you, you actually, oh, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you know. So, but in this case, it was interesting because the young woman had been raped at a young age by a priest, by the way. So I couldn't bring in a priest. I had to bring in, and I had to find an evangelical exorcist to, uh, and I only knew what happened to know one of those, so <laughs> I brought, brought him in, and uh, we did the exorcism. And the exorcism, you know, you know what the thing is, is everybody, when they talk about exorcism, first thing is, is it like the exorcist? No, it's not like the exorcist. There's no, uh, I didn't see any green glowing eyes or pea soup or anything like that. Um, it actually, it's a very, very different type thing. But the one part of it that you never hear people talking about is the part when, Whatever it is, and you know, and I'm not going to throw out religious terms because I, you know, uh, I don't do that, but I don't want to offend anybody with it because it is my belief. But you know, when the thing enters the room, whatever you want to call it, you want to call it positive, you want to call it good, you want to call it Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, when that thing comes into the room, you feel it, and everybody in the room starts to cry. There are tears coming literally down every single person in that room when that thing enters. And that's the thing that does the work. And shortly after that thing comes is when the work is done. And in this case, it happened, and she, she, we thought she had passed out. And, and then all of a sudden, she jumped up and started running out, out, out of the house. And I grabbed her in, you know, outside, right outside the front door, as a matter of fact. I grabbed her, and she collapsed over and she was, she was vomiting at that point, and it was not pea soup. It was stuff that looked like crude oil. It was black, mm. and it was. Mm. And I'm talking pouring out of this poor girl, and I'm holding her. And as I'm holding her, I feel her bones shifting in her body, um, almost like they were going back into place. Is the best way I can describe it. At, yeah, at one point, she passes out of my arms, and I take her back in, and we lay her on the couch. And I looked at the exorcist, and I must have been white. I mean, I must have looked like a ghost myself by that point, because it was pretty shaken up. And he looked at me, and he said, you felt it, didn't you? And I said, yeah. I said, you should have warned me about that, um, because it was so physical. I didn't, at that point, realize, and it kind of scared me a little bit. I didn't realize that um, possession and attachment uh, was such a physical thing. Uh, that's what that taught me, was how physical it was. And I find that a little bit more frightening than anything. So you could really tell that there was a physiological change that was going on inside this woman's body mm. as this whatever left. Right. And when she, when she, when she came to, with that, this was the cool part. When she came to, she, her, her cheeks were kind of sunken in. Her eyes had like black rings around them. Um, beforehand, and when she came to, all of that was gone, and she actually, her cheeks were blush red, and she immediately started crying, and the first thing she said to me was, bring me my baby. Mm. Have you ever seen anyone's eyes 
turn black or into any other kind of different yes. kind of shape? Yes, they do. And, you know, um, when we were dealing with, with matter of fact, with Helen, more than anything you would see quite a bit, even the kids that were affected. But it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. And I never heard anybody talk about it. Um, you, you, did you see that movie, The Right? I thought that was interesting because they, they, they actually um, got into uh, the eyes and the pupils. And, you know, and I was like, man, I wrote about this stuff you know, years ago. Where was were you to give me the answers? You know? Was that the one with Sidney Hopkins? Yeah, yeah. But they, they actually get into it a little bit. And the thing is, is the pupil of the eye, it expands to the point where it expands beyond normal human uh, capacity to dilate. And um, they actually, the church in the exorcist will actually now, they've actually gotten to the point where they'll measure the size of the pupil and the dilation because it will tell them if the person is actually under under some type of possession or what, or if it's something else. Um, because there's other things that can mimic that, by the way, um, but not to the point of a certain point where it's paranormal. Um, some bipolar um, manic episodes, their eyes will dilate somewhat. However, to the point where the, these people's eyes dilate, it, it pretty much covers, you don't see any white of the eye. Um, the best way I can describe it to you is think about looking into the eyes of a shark. Uh, take a look yeah. at a shark's eye. That's a pretty good indication of what it looks like. Um, dead, soulless, there's nothing there, and it is the creepiest thing that you've ever been through because when these people's eyes switch to something like that, it's almost instantaneous. Have you heard of the black-eyed kid stories? Yeah, I have. I always thought those I, that, that creeped me out too when I heard about them because um, I kind of, you know, you know, place what you know. I have to wonder what that is um, after seeing some of the things I've seen. Bob, was there anything you wanted to? I was just. I had heard that uh, at times, or I've just known people that <clears throat> have been in situations where they've during oppressions or, or you know possessions. Uh, the eyes, like the pupils, will change shape. Uh, they'll, they'll change shape. I've heard of that. I've never seen just changing shape. I've all, the only thing that I've ever seen that I can talk on from personal experience is the, the dilation being so extreme. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. With, with your paranormal group um, that you started, um, you got a lot of you would go on cases and you would get a lot of strange phenomena. And this, this is in the book as well. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of now feel that a lot of that was probably coming from you because you felt that you had an attachment at the time. Sure, I do. Um, you know, looking back at it, you, you know, the amount of evidence, the, the amount, and let's say the amount of crazy evidence, that was coming out of that group at that time. I remember getting things and looking at it going, geez, I can't show anybody this. Nobody will believe this. You know, and it was just a massive and massive amount. I mean, uh, the shadow figures from Zombie Road were during that time. Um, and I have to wonder, looking back at it, you know, John Baffish used to tell me all the time, he goes, Stephen, you cannot be coming out of a case and running a group. He goes, it just doesn't work. And, you know, I, I used to fight him on it all the time. John and I fought about that all the time, and he was always on to me for it. 
and I didn't understand. I mean, you know, you, you, sometimes John, John, I'll try to tell you, I'm stubborn. He goes, sometimes Steven's just got to learn his lessons on his own. You don't just kind of let him go and do it. But looking back now, I look at it and, yeah, I mean, you know, once I left research in that sort of way in a group form, that group, um, which, by the way, today they're nothing like it was, but um, back then, you know, after leaving, all of the evidence just dried up. They have not gotten anything substantial mm. since the day I left the group. So that, you know, that tells me something, I think. You know, it really tells me that it was that of that perfect storm uh, of things that was going on with the perfect set of people who um, were actually, I, I don't think we could take that evidence at any given point and look at it as a case-by-case -case basis. I think the evidence that was, was captured during those moments and during those times has to be looked at as a collective because I think they're all part of the same thing. So you would almost feel like you like almost contaminated like the the area or the space that they were investigating. Right, right. I felt yeah. like I contaminated, you know, and I still do. I feel like there was a contamination of things um, because, you know, which is not good. It's not conducive to research at all because you're really not getting the real thing, are you? Um, because all of this is connected to something else. And, you know, I, and I believe that the team, those that, that went through the union haunting with me, I, I believe that that energy, you know, with them stayed as well and we just carried over into the other things we were doing. I mean, we came out of the Screaming House, you guys, and we went right into Zombie Road. I mean, Zombie Road is one of the most haunted roads in America. You know, you, you know from there we went to... Um, you know, if you look at the Tri-County Truck Stop and the outrageous things that we were getting there that people are still talking about today. Um, you know, it's, I look all the way through that time and I go, man, you know, there, there was just too much. There was just too much. It's, it's just too outrageous. Um, and the only way that I can justify it in my mind is thinking, you know, well, it did stop. This is, I can give you an exact point when it stopped, the moment I walked away. Wow. Um, I want to ask you, too, about um, an experience that you had in the book. And, and this was one that that really interested me. Um, and, and it's kind of a minor point in the book, but you, you actually have like kind of like a UFO experience. You could have talked about that. <laughs> I almost didn't write about it, but I thought it was interesting. You know, it was, and it was more. It was more. I wanted to write about it because the situation was so funny afterwards. Because it was my reaction to it. Yeah, we did. Uh, we we were we were it was, it was Christmas time. We were going to get my daughter who was at a dance, and my youngest son with me. And there was this thing in the sky that was following us that we lived kind of country, you know, it was out in the middle of the, the nowhere, you know, nowhere. And it, so we're on this road and it's just us on this, this two lane highway out in the middle. And we kept seeing this thing and we saw it even before we got out that far. And all of a sudden it, it, my son goes, stop, you know, and I'm like, what, you know, and he goes, look. And so I did, I stopped and I, and I pulled over to the side and we got out, and there's this thing, and it's hovering over the field. And I looked at him. He looked at me. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm like, I said, you know, at first I was like, it must be a helicopter. But there was no noise. I mean, helicopters, you hear, right? 
And all of a sudden, there was a, a shot of light shot down from the bottom of it, down into the field, into this one spot. And at that point, I looked at him and said, out of here. We're gone. And he's like, no, no, let's wait. And I'm like, no, out of here. I got in the car, and we started to drive away, and I looked at him, and I said, you are never going to tell anyone about this because you can only have one paranormal experience in your life, not two. You know, <laughs> and it was, it was kind of funny because I always say that to the Bigfoot people. I'm like, if I see Bigfoot, you guys are never going to know it because no one is ever going to believe that I had a haunting, a UFO, and a Bigfoot. No, not going to happen. You know, but what was funny is I made the joke about it in the book. Now, this is really kind of strange. Because after I made the joke about it in the book, over the past month, I have people coming up that have lived through hauntings that go, you know, we lived through a haunting, plus we had a UFO experience. So now I'm kind of wondering, well, maybe if it's connected in some way. It could be, I guess, but Uh, but that's all I have to say about UFOs. (laughs) I I want to address this for a little bit. and and Yeah, we can talk about it. I'm joking with you. This is one of the things that we have talked, one of the subjects we have talked about on this show. Uh, I am the kind of person, um, you know, like our last guest, we had someone that, that described himself as a nuts and bolts mm-hmm. UFO guy. In other words, it's like it's a totally physical phenomenon. I believe that UFOs, flying saucers, alien abductions, all that stuff is primarily spiritual. Mm-hmm. And you know, if anyone's listening to the show, they pretty much have, you know, gathered up by now. But um, it, it's interesting that your son in the book, like the course of it is, is that he goes back inside the house. Yeah, I didn't tell that has, part of it, did I? He has an actual encounter. Yeah, he has an actual encounter with a shadow figure in the house um, that actually he came back out pretty shaken about. You know, I actually had to go back in after some things. So um, that was that started that evening. And by the way, the UFO thing, um, when we, um, I think it's important to, to note that um, a couple days after the event, uh, the newspaper article came out about other people seeing the same thing we saw. Yeah, yeah, that was, you know? yeah. Which, that that made me relieved, you know. It's like at least, you right. know, this time, it's like at least time some other people were seeing this stuff, you know. I was, I was really kind of relieved about that. So. Well, I know Bill Bean and his experience. Yeah, you Bill know, uh, He had, uh, you know, he, he had the same violent haunting stuff happen to him. And later on in his life, he started this where it, basically he was um, pretty much commanding UFOs to come out and they would come. Well, in Billy's case, you're talking, you know, I, there, there's an abduction kind of involved in there that I don't know if yeah. it's ever been really yeah. talked about publicly. But, you know, when, I remember when Bill told me that um, years ago. I was like, I kind of laughed, but, I, you know, I also had this little experience of my own. So it's like, you know, there might be something to it. Then when the movie The Fourth Kind, now obviously the movie The Fourth Kind is, you know, absolute fiction, but... What what it did for me when I saw it is I stopped and really started thinking about it. And I started thinking about the cases we work, the demonic cases we work, the attached cases we work, the violent hauntings, and how much in common with some of these abduction cases um, these things actually are. It's kind of frightening when you start doing that type of research. And you find out that they're connected in some 
very, very specific ways. And, you know, so who knows what that is, but, you know, you know, I think Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, back in the, the ghost talk days, you might have heard her say this. Um, she uh, she said at one point, and I heard in the show, and I love Ro. I mean, she's probably you know, probably one of the best scholars we have as far as paranormal go. Um, but she said, she goes, you know, with all of these things, not just ghosts, you find uh, there is a thread of commonality, and within that thread of commonality is where we're going to find the answers. And I think she's right. I think she's absolutely right, and she's got her finger on it. We had her on uh, last year uh, talking about the gin. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a scary talk, isn't it? <laughs> well, this is what I want to get into now, kind of the UFOs as a segue to it. But also, you know, there's there's a whole um, line of, you know, probably people kind of like in a, kind of like a more like a fringe area of Christianity that equate UFOs, uh, alien abduction, with the fallen angels. Mm -hmm. And this is also something that is in your book. Yes. Is the existence of fallen angels. Mm -hmm. Which we call call them, and if you look at modern-day Christianity, uh, that would be called, you would call them demons. However, in this case, what we're dealing with is people that still view them um, in angelic form. They, they worship the fallen. Um, they worship the angel itself, thinking it is an angel and not a transformed being. Um, they look to these things because this, is, this gets really, really dicey. They look to these things because um, in, in certain religions, if you look into the Obeah religion and part of the Voodoo religions, you will find that, the, the, that part of the, the, those religions are based upon the idea of taking the fallen angels and the different spirits and working those things to good or bad, whichever way that you want to manipulate them. Um, this is why it's important when you go back to the union case, you realize that who did he go see two weeks before he died? He went to see the rude priestess that was living on his land when he killed his wife. Um, now talking to the family members of the captain, uh, it became quite clear. And this is the way it was explained to me. And I'll explain it to you this way. Um, he said it was like you growing up in somebody just says you're Baptist for so therefore you're Baptist, right? He goes, right. our religion and our beliefs are a little different. He goes, if you would ask us who what we are in our religion, we would tell you we're charismatic Catholics. However, um, it's not quite what we are. It goes more into the, the angels, the, the fallen angels, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and what was really strange about this is when he started telling us, and I, you know, I had already made these connections, kind of, you know, I started placing them into places because sometimes in a puzzle, the only piece fits right where it's supposed to, you know, and those pieces were already kind of falling in before I talked to them. And, you know, and when we got into it a little bit more, it really kind of frightened me a little bit because um, there were there was a phone call earlier on by an anonymous person. Actually, this person um, was dying of cancer um, that mentioned the angels as well. Uh, and then you get into, you know, one of the important things we were talking about that email. Uh, one of the things that uh, was striking about that email is that she puts in quotation marks, angel screams, by the way. 
uh, yeah. that were around the top of the union uh, living room were cherubs, part of the cherubim. Cherubim was part of the fallen choirs. I don't think people realize that. Um, you know, so, I mean, I started pushing through all of this stuff, started piecing together. Then I remembered when I was a kid, a teenager, I lived in the town over from Union, which is like night and day. Um, anybody that knows anything about these German towns in Missouri will understand that they very much stay to themselves. Um, but there was always talk about don't go to Union when I was a teenager because there's a cult over there. Um, they really? did some pretty bad things, yeah. And then when I did the research on it, if you look up St. James, Missouri, St. James, Missouri is not even a half hour away from Union. And um, there's, there you'll find them talking about the angel cult there, uh, which I thought was interesting too. Um, and then, you, of course, we got the family member coming up and telling us about this and um, that their religious beliefs are a little bit different. And they, you know, the thing is, is it looks like a little bit of Santa Rhea, um, which anybody knows anybody, Santa Rhea, you know, a lot of the Santa Rhea is kind of a mix between Buddha and Catholicism. It looks a little bit like that, but it goes a little bit further into the angelic than that. Is there, is it kind of like an occult secret society in a way? Is it kind of like you have a, almost, because you, you do describe the voodoo priestess. Right. And that's very much like, you know, the, that that's basically shamanism and right. and and getting into an altered state to communicate with these beings. Right. If you will talk to them, they will tell you the captain himself is not actually dead, um, meaning that they can communicate through through different means to him, uh, which that's bizarre. Um, but the thing is, is yeah, it's it's a very different different uh, approach and look at this religion. Is it a, a secret society? I believe it's very secret. Um, I think they they keep very much, and I think the research when I started doing research into everything, I think that's why they were trying so desperately to stop my research um, because they did not want the story to come out. They did not want people to know actually what was going on there. Um, so it is very secret, but, um, and they use the charismatic Catholic, that, that gets thrown a lot, around a lot, but it's the families that have been there the longest and the oldest, and most of those families are connected into the captain line, um, that you'll find this, and, um, they still are practicing it today. It always seems to be the elite of any town that seems to be just into this, into this, this kind of darkness and weirdness. You know, and you know, the thing is, is I worried at first about writing it, but then it became clear to me that in, in writing it and putting it out there, I protect myself more than not putting it out there. Um, because, you know, I think, you know, people need to know about it, number one. Number two, I think, you know, not much is going to happen to me, you know, at this point, because I, I have certain things in place that certain people would, would definitely be under the microscope pretty damn fast. Right. Interesting. And the phone call that you got was like, added just this whole other element of like kind of intrigue into the, into the story. Well, I'm glad um, you call it intrigue because I found it terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, you know, I don't know about you. Well, <laughs> if I had received that call, I probably would have. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I, mean, I mean, at that point, we had a stalker even. I mean, I remember, in the, and I even say this in the book, I mean, I even asked him at one point, is this guy Dave's a stalker that I'm with? And, and the guy goes, no. No, they're not the stalker. 
You know, if they wanted to get you, they would have already had you by now. There would be no, you know, grandiose thing built up to it. You would just be here and then you would be gone. You know, I found that very frightening, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's extremely frightening. Uh, there, you actually had received uh, like a hundred. I think you said like a hundred and fifty page report from from the Vatican about. Yes, sir. The- yes, sir. A hundred fifty six page report from the Roman Catholic Church about uh, the haunting and uh, their views, um, their their evaluations, and their conclusions. What did they conclude? That it was the, 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 it was a classic case of demonic infestation, oppression, obsession, and possession. And that's coming from the Roman Catholic Church, who really just doesn't do that too often, you know. And that you know, I, I, I was it was uh, Thanksgiving 2012, the day before. You know, I was in I was doing things, getting ready for the holiday, and I get a knock on the door. I was living in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, at the time. I was living on the beach, actually. And uh, I heard a knock at the door, and he answered the door, and the, the FedEx guy gives me this package, and I opened it up, and here, you know, this book, The Roman Catholic Church. Um, it's 156 pages, and I sat down, and I started reading it, and I read it outside on, on my patio in the sun. I was sitting there reading, and even in, in a warm day in October in, in South Carolina, I was cold. I mean, it was... It's I, I I can't under I can't describe it any more than this that there is nothing that I've ever written in the book is more terrifying as what they put in there. Wow, scared the hell out of me. But you Can know, go, uh, oh sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead, I, you're you're fine. No, I was just <clears throat> as far as like the property goes and whatnot. Were you ever? I mean, I know they were trying to cover everything up and hide it and mm-hmm. and uh, keep it down, I guess. But is do you feel like they did that for publicity, like reason partially, or? Um, I think in the beginning, I think in the beginning um, they did it because they were definitely trying to hide it. Um, I think later on, now you know, we, the family member that came forward, and now you know, this is nowhere. This is this is me. I cannot prove this, and I have to say this before I say it because. Mm-hmm. But in my thought of my mind, if you really want somebody to shut up, you're going to, you know, what's the best way to do that? Give them a slice of the truth. Not the whole truth, just the slice of the truth. And so when we're dealing with these people and what they're involved in and everything, I think they've given me just partially what what's going on as far as it. I think it's, it's probably a lot deeper than we even know. Um, I mean, a lot more frightening, so I think, in the sense that these people are, are looking for um, their gain in life through this stuff, and uh, can't be good no matter which way you look at it. No, it can't. And 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 you know, you, you had some speculation in the book that the landlord was mm. was purposely renting to. Well, uh, interesting. You you're going to love this part because if you go back to the uninvited, remember when the landlord brings the the woman from uh, to the house? The, the, the she's a heavy set woman in. You know, she turned out to be actually a relative of the captain's. By the way, she was she was um, she was part of that uh, family line um, that she brought to the landlord found brought to the house. Now, what we found out is actually the landlord was related to her, which means the landlord is related into that family. So the landlord also 
um, claims that she is a charismatic Catholic. There's that charismatic Catholic term again. Um, so what the landlord has done is she's pretty much told us everything we need to know now that they have with she. Um, she is feeding into the house. And, you know, and not only that, she's not only feeding families. The more disturbing part of it, it appears that it's the children those families have that she's actually after. Um, because every single one of the families that you talk about before we lived there, after we lived there, all of them had children, and all of the children were affected. Mm. What about the house across the street? Did you ever try to look into uh, what caused that <clears throat> that murder? You can't. You know, the, the thing is, is it's 1974. Um, they call it the murder house in the town. That's what they call it. Um, the, the reports are very specific, very to the point. Um, they talk about it as murder-suicide, and they leave it pretty much at that. Um, that's pretty much all you're going to find out upon, about it. Uh, nobody, everybody seemed kind of tight-lipped a little bit um, about it. You know, and they all, but, you know, the thing is, is when you talk to um, the older people in town and you get them talking, and sometimes that can be interesting, and I included some of that in, in uh, Bless It because I thought their take on things is particularly interesting. But um, you, they'll, they'll bring it up occasionally, you know, and say, well, you know, you know. So I, I imagine it's connected in some way, somehow. It's just we don't have those connections at this time and probably never will. So Stephen, you would, you would discourage anyone from going to the Union House, the Union Screaming House. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I do it all the time. But, you know, the thing is, is it seems like, I don't know, it's, there's, there's this faction of people out there that, that find it fascinating, but at the same time they find it fascinating, they don't realize that we're dealing with a real dangerous scenario. Um, in the, you know, you'll hear them say, well, I want to go look there, or I want to investigate there. And then I always find myself going, really? I mean, why would you want to do this? Um, I don't understand that, you know, because if this thing attaches to you, it's not going to let go of that awful easy, you know, and I don't think they, they get that, and I think that's disturbing, but anybody that asks me, I, I tell them, you know, stay away from there. Uh, there's no need to be around that. Um, there's certain things that maybe we're not supposed to understand, and there's certain things that maybe you shouldn't expose yourself to, and I would say that's probably one of them. I would say, too. Um, how did you... Um, you had a death experience, and you believe that this is how the attachment left you. Leading up to that surgery, I had open-heart surgery. Leading up to that surgery, we would, we would go into the kitchen of our apartment then, and we would find all the cabinets open, and we would find butcher knives lined up in the floor. You know, so leading up to that, I mean, when I went into that surgery, I, you know, other than the obvious, I knew I was going to die because, you know, part of that is they do kill you for a little period of time. But, um, you know, but I, I, I really thought I wasn't coming back, by the way, um, right. because of what was going on leading up to it. So anyway, I went into the surgery and in the surgery, I was dead for 38 seconds. I died on the table for 38 seconds. Now, 38 seconds doesn't sound long to me and you right now, but when you're dead, it's a long time. Uh, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't do the, the near-death experience like everybody else did it because, of course, I couldn't because that would be too easy. Um, I was falling in darkness is what I was going, what happened to me, and it didn't really, not why I wasn't afraid. Um, actually, it felt good. 
I mean, it didn't feel bad until I slammed back into my body. Um, so, so if you talk to some of the spiritualists in that, they'll tell you it was actually at the moment the soul re-enters the body, it, it, it goes back into the body with tremendous force. Um, and that's what I felt. And at the moment it happened, it was, it was a, at first I thought it was a silly thing to think, but I, the thought I had was, I know why children cry when they're born. It hurts. You know, and that bothered me for a while. And I'm like, you know, um, and after the, the, my lung was punctured, I had, you know, a five-way bypass, not a four guys, not a quadruple, a five-way. They have a different name for it, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, it was like, you know, talk about being as messed up as you could be. I was. All right. So here I am with a punctured lung. They've just done this. I'm in the, in the hospital, but I'm recovering um, for a period of nine days in the hospital, just nine days alone in the hospital. And um, each day uh, I'm in, in the hospital, a nun comes. Now, I'm not Catholic. Everybody assumes I'm Catholic, but I'm not. Um, I'm a good UCC boy, <laughs> you know, good old Protestant. But this nun comes to my bedside every day, which I thought was strange to begin with, because usually they send a minister of your own type disease. Well, this nun comes every day, and she asks me to pray with her. So every day she comes, I pray with her. And she keeps coming to my bedside every day. Um, but as this week goes on, I notice that people aren't paying attention to her. Um, you know, people, the nurses would come in and they would be talking to me while this nun was praying. And I would be, hey, I would be like, hey, nun praying, you know, <laughs> you know, they had to think I was, it was a little nuts, I guess. Now, now thinking about it. But on about the eighth day, um, my parents were there and there was a sitting room right next to my bed, a sitting area kind of a nice hospital room, actually. And uh, the nun was there, and she was praying. And I looked over at my mom, and I motioned her to come over. My mom comes over to the bed, and she leans, leans down so I can say something to her. And I said, tell me you see the nun. And then she looked at me with this really strange look on her face and said, what nun? Huh. The nun turned around, walked out the door, and I never saw her again. Wow. Mm -hmm. And wow. so I had all of this to deal with, you know, the heart thing, all of this dying, all of this going on. And I went through a really deep, deep depression, you know, because I couldn't figure it out. I don't, you, well, what does this mean? Why, you know, that sort of thing. It's the kind of person I am. And anybody read, reads my books, you'll know I ask a million questions of myself like this and, and try to find the answers. And I couldn't figure it out. And then one morning I woke up and it was immediate the answer was there and it was simple it was simple it was like you know we let you come back for a reason you know and the reason was was that you need to live more life however there's a stipulation here the stipulation is that you need to straighten up and realize that life is rough and life is tough and it's going to kick you around but that's how we learn the lessons we need to learn you know, all along I was going, you know, and you, you get a little bit of this in the uninvited, I think, when you read it. At least I do now that I go back and see what I wrote there. You go, and it's to the point of poor me. There's a lot of poor me going on. Um, you know, poor me, my sister died. Poor me, my wife left me. Poor me, I moved to do a haunted house. Blah, 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 you know. And it was like, you know, I had this huge pity party going on. But, you know, it was their way of telling me, you know, this is going to hurt. Life hurts. If you're going to live it, life hurts. Learn from it, but learn to see the blessings even that hurt. And it was, it was an instant thing. And I mean, from that moment on, I was a changed person. 
I am completely different than, let's say, if you would have interviewed me like five years ago. Right. Yeah, it's something to say for like the the power of positivity, which you know we've had uh, Tim Yancey right. on. Right. Well. Tim and I believe in the same things, by the way. You know, in a lot of the same way. I mean, Tim and I have been friends, and we got we're almost like brothers. But you know, for for the longest time, and you know, it, the thing is, is Tim, Tim, Tim always tried to beat that over my head a little bit, and I understood it. And you know, we preached it, but. Was I really walking the walk of that? And, you know, and, and come to find out, no, I really didn't understand what positivity was until later. And, you know, I mean, the, the best way to think about it is, you know, um, and I had to really do a reconditioning. There was a reconditioning of thought and stuff that, you know, after the initial realization, you were like, okay, how do I, how do I stay in this state of peace or grace or whatever you want to call it? And the thing is, is you realize that if you put negative into your world and you bring negative into your world, the negative does follow. So in the same thing, the lesson's really simple. If you bring positive into your world and you, you, you keep positive into your world and you push out that negative, then positive is going to stay and positive results will there follow. Uh, you know, very, very easy thing. And I look back, you know, to my son when he was in second grade. This is how simple this lesson is. Every day he would come home from second grade and he would talk about how bad school was. And so I got to a point where I got fed up with it. And I said to him, I said, tomorrow when you come, when you come into this door and I ask you how school was, you're going to tell me three good things that happened to you today. And so he did that, you know, and it, I continued with him. By about, you know, a few weeks later, he was loving school. I never heard bad things about school anymore. You know, that's the same thing that we can do, you know. Um, at one point, you know, I, I did that for myself, you know. What good things happened today? Got to tell you, there were some days that just getting out of bed was it. You know, yeah. however, however, you know, when his time went by, you, 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 that list became longer every day. It became longer. And then the things that were bad were starting to leave. And then I, my life was starting to change. And everything was starting to change around me until where I'm at right now, which is a pretty darn good place. And, and you know, too, the, you know, the, the, these violent hauntings, the, the kind of like the common denominator between them all is that people uh, are in a negative situation. Right. And these entities seem to feed off this negativity. Well, you know, you look at you look at them, and you, you there there's there's always some type of something going on, whether it's dysfunction or anger. In my case, it was anger. Um, yeah. I can tell you, in my case, it was anger. I was mad, and I was mad at just about everybody and everything, you know. And you know, in you, but you look at these cases. I mean, you know, in Tim's, I you know, I think a lot of it, you know, stems from his father and what was going on between his father and his brother and, and such. Um, there was some dysfunction there. And, you know, and then the other cases, I mean, look at the Reed, the Carmen Reed case when you look at the haunting in Connecticut. Um, you know, with Carmen, you know, dealing with the son and all of the things that surround that, um, that is, that is uh, potentially terminally ill with cancer. So, I mean, you know, it's very easy to see, you know, that now today the way it is, you know, Bill with his mother and the, the alcoholism and all the things that were going on there. Um, you look at all these cases and what's the, kind, the common thread. Let's go back to Rosemary's thing. What's the common thread between all of them? And there is some type of dysfunction or 
things that aren't right going on. It seemed like these people, including myself, were at their lowest point possible when the thing steps in. Yeah, I definitely think that there. Yeah, exactly. And I definitely think there's just so much to be said for for positivity. You know, even in my own life, that's something that you know I need to learn myself. <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of funny though because we're going on and we're telling people these things, and it's like you, the the looks you get from people occasionally because you look at them and go, it's so simple. It's it's not rocket science because I think that's what people want is some drawn out, complicated thing for us to tell them. But also we look at it when we tell them it's, it's about positivity in your life. It's about your family. It's about humor. It's about love. It's about all of these things. And one thing your life should never, never be about is about the negative. And you kind of give, you kind of give people, you just see their heads kind of go to the side because they're expecting us to tell them, you know, you have to say 20 Hail Marys a day, read your Bible backwards and forwards five times a week. You know, <laughs> but that doesn't come out. You know, we're giving you simple daily things that you can do to protect yourself and protect your your life and make your life better at the same time. And it is paranormal. It is paranormal. Um, right. You know, the, the, the changes that happen within a person when they're drawing this good in, that is just as much paranormal as the changes that happens to a person that draws the negative in. Um, unfortunately, in the world we live in, we just want to dwell on that bad side. We never talk about the good side. And it's like I was telling you about the exorcism. No one ever talks about the good part of an exorcism. You just want the, the down and the dirty and the, the scary. And, you know, but these are lives we're talking about. These are not stories. These are lives and these are people and people living real lives. And it's not just another scary story. There's a lot more involved here and, and it's a lot more involved than simply I got scared. I think of the paranormal ghost hunting uh, subculture anyway, there is this kind of obsession with darkness. Yeah. And when someone, like, you want to see stuff that's cool, you know, I, I want to see, you know, the somebody, film footage of, like, you know, somebody, like, uh, screaming demonic curses or something. But and, and so there is a kind of a, this idea that, you know, hey, that's really lame what you're talking about, that positivity thing. But, mm. you know, there, there, it's, it needs to be said. It needs. It's something that that really needs to be put into that because there is a lot of negativity. I think in that in that culture. Right. You know, when my son was ten years old, he came to me. We were right after one of the big bouts. You know, one of the the big blowups that we had. And he looked at me and he said, "You know," he goes, "Dad, you know what? You went looking for demons and you found them. Why don't you go looking for angels now?" Yeah. You know, I mean, how how profound of a statement to come out of a child. Um, but it's true. It's true. You know, and, and that's the thing that, that gets me is, you know, um, we're not looking for the answers in the paranormal. We're looking for the bad answers in the paranormal. We're looking for the dark answers. We're not looking for the miraculous. We're looking for the opposite. And that kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, because yeah. what we're doing is we're, we're getting a very short and narrow focus on what the paranormal actually is. It's, you know, there's a whole other side there that's being neglected because somebody might be afraid that somebody might look at him and say, well, that's religious. 
Um, but there's ways of looking at it. I mean, the whole world tells the same stories over and over. The whole world deals with the same condition. I don't think it's about religion as much as I think it's about the human condition and about life and death. But however, if you're going to look at that dark side, you know, there's a whole good side here that needs to be opened up and looked at as well. Because I think we're going to find the answers we want probably more so in the positive than the negative, because the negative is just going to keep running away from us. You know, I think so. if somebody, like, listened to my show, they would say, well, maybe, you know, we're obsessed a little bit with the negative stuff, too, on this show, but, you know. Sure, I, I mean, I, I get, I, you know, I can, I, you can say the same about me, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. um, you know, I mean, did I help feed that? Why, you know, did the uninvited help feed that in some way? Sure, I'm sure it did. Um, you know, I noticed the change about, and I, Tim, Tim, Tim will probably say the same thing to you, too. I think it was about three years ago. Um, we were doing a lecture somewhere, both of us together, um, and we looked up, and this lady comes into the lecture, and she's got a soda in one hand and a popcorn in the other, and she and it really set me back. And she's looking for a seat and trying to pick her seat like she's doing in a movie theater, you know? Yeah. And I looked at Tim, and I said, Tim, I said, I think... Yeah, I said, look at I you there's a change happening here. At one point people were interested to hear what we were saying because they wanted to learn from it. I said, now they're looking at it as entertainment and I said, I find that disturbing. Right. And and to say too that, you know, if we focus a little bit too much on the negative sometimes, but you know, the uh, the thing is is that the if the negative is there the positive exists as well. Right. And and that's something that I've tried here with this show. Uh, oh, this stuff that we have that we have talked about is to say, you know, hey, this does exist, but you know, just because this exists, be aware of it. Right. I um, I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about it and showing it for what yeah. it is, and you know, because I think, however, don't leave the lesson with that. I mean, there's you know, um, the journey goes from you know goes from light to darkness back to light. You know, um, don't forget going back to the light after the darkness. You know. Um, I think right. that's where we miss the point, and um, it really, it's why you, why I wrote Blessed. I mean, Blessed um, does that, I think, very well as far as the book goes and as far as my life goes. I mean, it demonstrates, you know, that you can go down to that dark tunnel, but um, there is ways out of it, you know, and I think there's people out there that need a book like that that can pick it up and um, see it go to work in their life. Hopefully, um, hopefully it'll help somebody. Um, because, you know, I, I know when I was going through it, you know, the help was slow getting there, you know, almost got there too late. And then even when the help got there, I remember Lorraine Warren, and you'll, you'll love that I'm bringing this up, I think. Um, Lorraine Warren um, at one point told me it was far from over after one of the big things, and I thought it was over. I'm like, listen, I got the depression, the oppression lifted off me. I'm feeling great right now. However, Lorraine was right, you know, and I actually got mad at her. I was mad at her for a couple of a good year or so after that. Like, how dare you say that to me? But the truth of the matter was that she was right. Yeah. She was absolutely right. She wasn't she wasn't saying that to be smart or to scare me or anything. She was giving me wisdom. And at the point that she gave me that wisdom, I didn't understand it was wisdom. Um, it took going on. Like I said, John, I'll tell you, I'm one of the most stubborn people on this earth. But, you know, I had to learn the lesson for myself. And, you know, and I, I've been publicly saying it now, and I don't even think she knew I was mad at her for a while. But I've been publicly saying to her, you know, yeah, you know, you were right. I was wrong. 
So Stephen, in the little bit of time that we've got left here, um, what are you working on now? Uh, do you still investigate? Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, I'm just stepping back um, a little bit into some research. Um, the research is going to is taking a big change. You're going to see a little bit of, well, not a little bit. You're going to see a whole lot of angelic research start coming into play. Um, I think that's the natural progression of things. Um, you're also going to, you know, um, I, I don't need to go out and grab all kinds of evidence to show somebody anymore. I mean, that part of it's done. However, I, I want to look into more of a positive realm. I think it's missing. I think that it needs to start happening. So you're going to see a little bit of that. I'm still writing. I mean, I, the crazy, we're putting a special edition crazy out um, next uh, uh, around Easter. And then uh, House of Grace is going to be the new fiction novel that comes out. Plus, I'm doing an online serial where I'm writing a chapter a week that starts next month where people can come in and they, there's no charge for it, by the way. It's absolute, this one's absolutely free. I'm writing this book for the fans, uh, the people that supported the, the first three books, and, you know, and I want to show them what the writing process is like. So what it is is I'll write a chapter, and they'll actually be able to comment on the chapter. And those notes, after I'm, after I'm done with the book, their notes, what they give me is their notes, um, all of that goes to the editor, and she'll edit it into a book eventually. Um, so it's kind of fun. I wanted to do something kind of different um, with people that support my work, and I thought that was kind of neat. Got the idea from Stephen King, except Stephen um, charged people 99 cents a chapter, which I, <laughs> right. I mean, after a while, after a while, it's like, well, how many chapters is this book going to be? You know, um, instead of doing that, I decided <laughs> to bring them in on the creative process, because I thought, well, you know, this would be kind of cool, and it might teach um, somebody out there that, that wants to be do what I do and be a writer, um, the chance to go out there and actually learn something and maybe learn how to do the process that I go through. So I thought that might you know, be a way to get back a little bit. I think, you know, that's the important thing. You know, we, we can take from the paranormal, um, but you never want to take more than you give back because the thing is, is that that's important uh, above all. Um, because if we really say we're part, we're researchers and we're doing research and we're doing investigations, well, um, that information and all of that has to come back into the community in some way and somehow. Um, and you need to be there to support each other. You need to be there to support someone else um, on their learning curve and what they're going through. So I, I've always been really, really careful about that. Where can people uh, get your books and contact you? Um, then contact me and my well, you can email me actually. I, I answer all my emails. You can answer me email me at Stephen at StephenALachance dot com. It's my name with my middle initial A. And then to reach me, uh to read about the books and stuff, you can go to my website which is StephenALachance dot com. Is that easy or what? There's also a contact tab there. If you want signed books of crazy, you can get them there. But however, the books are available um, worldwide at all major book outlets. Anybody that really sells books, I mean, um, they're all over the place. You go to Books a Million Books, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Kindle, Nook. Um, you go to a little uh, bookstore I saw that was in, in Germany that's advertising it. You know, um, so it's around the world. So it's easy to get a hold of. You just go to your bookstore. So. And I think Blessed Are the Wicked, when she released it on Kindle, I think it just, like, shot up to, like, 
in the top ten or something. Yeah, like that. it did overnight, and you know, yeah. and and it, 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 you know, you got to watch when you watch uh, Kindle. Kindle will go up and down um, hourly, so I, I look at it. Both books are on the supernatural charts right now. Um, last week we looked at uh, Blood to Be number eight um, on supernatural charts, and uh, uh, Uninvited was down like sixteen. Um, but you got to remember the Uninvited. I think that's cool because that book's eight years old. You know, well, yeah, almost eight years old, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's cool for an old book to to come back up with this. So. Um, they're both doing really well, and that's exciting. And it's exciting to know that people are out there reading it. And uh, the responses to Blessed are the Wicked have just been overwhelming. You know, people are getting the message, they're understanding it, and they're putting the work within themselves and their investigation. And that's all I can hope for in the end, isn't it? Well, it, absolutely. And they are both excellent books. I, I highly recommend them. And uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, call it, Stephen, but. Uh, uh, we just uh, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank and, you for uh, having me. Absolutely, uh, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, just hold on the line for us. We're just going to close out this part. And uh, Bobby, we'll back on Conspiranormal. Conspiranormal. All right, we're back on Conspiranormal. Uh, that was quite an interview, uh, kind of Very a long cool. one, about an hour and a half. Uh, so we'll try to make this as brief as possible for everybody, but, uh, cause I know everybody's not going to hear us droning on and on, but, uh, Bobby, I just want to get your, you know, thought, what you thought about that first, and, you know. Well, that was really cool. I mean, I haven't read the books. Um. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, just a situation, and uh, his take on, I, I feel like we got to hit a lot of different points with him. Right. Um, that covered a few different spectrums, rather than, you know, just one or two different uh, one point, and then somebody just yeah know, going and talking about it the whole time, you know. Um, like I said, the part that really um, got me in the book was it, you know, the kind of like the UFO experience, and that was something he almost left out of the book. And I thought that was something that was like was real important because if anybody's listening to the show, they know that you know that there's definitely a correlation between the two in my mind. UFOs. UFOs. Powered them, by them space Nazis. UFOs with them space Nazis <laughs> and blonde hair, blue eyes, big heads. But it was really good to have Steven on. Like I said, he's one somebody that I'd wanted to have on for quite a while now. And um, you know, once he had the book out, I kind of pursued and got to got the interview ready. And uh, yeah, that that interview just really just floored me. Um, I'd love to have like a round, uh, like a was like a panel discussion on the show with these guys that are like have survived violent hauntings and just have them all talk about <clears throat> their experiences and you know I think that would be just incredible but uh, Bobby yeah today <laughs> could be a sad day I'm not sure oh not sad not sad but uh, you're going to be leaving Nashville I am but I'm going to try to stay with the show yeah. via Skype hopefully um, at least for an episode here and there. Um, right. But yeah, just moving on. Well, I want to talk to you about, you know, real quick, while well, we got a little bit of time here, is kind of like your time on the show and and <coughs> and kind of being that guy that's just kind of like not doesn't know a lot of these things. So like tonight, you know, about the haunting stuff. That's the stuff you really love. Mm -hmm. And the history stuff, is you really love that as well. But some of the other... 
um, subjects that we've talked about, you know, I just kind of want to get your um, feelings on some of the guests that we've had and, you know, well, I mean, where it's the been show's a, gone. Been a super wide spectrum, really, as far as... Uh, well, see, so your, your first show that was uh, Tom Bionic, you sat in there with me, and that was the Life After Future Quake show. That was... Uh, we were talking about kind of sleep paralysis stuff, some right. politics stuff, and also about his work with the um, with the rescue mission here mm. in uh, oh, right. Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's been uh, a lot of different a lot of different types of shows, and uh, it's been enjoyable. But ones like tonight are my favorite. Yeah, you know, just so I can, I mean, <clears throat> sit back, take it all in, and 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 try to. Uh, be able to communicate with them about you know maybe things what they'd seen and, and uh, what they'd experienced a little bit I mean it's always difficult when you haven't read the book so you may be referencing something that they mentioned in the book so you know you don't really yeah know. well yeah. that you know, he was pretty forthcoming tonight you know I've not had really have not had a guest yet that has been like well you need to read the book to find that out yeah Really haven't had one do that. Yeah. So, you know, been pretty thankful that, you know, my, most of our guests are, you know, willing to explain what's in their book and and not not say that. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, it's been cool. Um, I'll be out in, in Portland trying to do... Hanging uh, out with the hipsters. Yeah. Uh, being hip, you know. Just uh, maybe hitting on a little bit of the, uh, the comedy scene out there. And, you know, oh, yeah? Doing a couple things on the side. Well, you are a pretty funny guy, uh, Bobby. I don't try. Nobody sees that. Uh, nobody do. sees that side of you on the show. That much. <laughs> Luke's kind of more of the prankster here, but uh, which, by the way, everybody knows that Luke is not here tonight. He had a, a family obligation. Yes. So we missed. He's him probably thoroughly. telling everybody about fluoride or something. <clears throat> <laughs> Gun Martians coming from the outer space. <laughs> well, Bobby, we will miss you, man. It's been great to have you on the show, and we're gonna Thanks. we're gonna try to uh, maybe do something special with you. Try to get you like in on Skype. Um, at least like you could like listen in or hear the interviews. Like like some nights that you're maybe not working, like on a Sunday night. You know, yeah. let us know. Of course, you know there'll be a two hour time difference for you now. Mm. So yeah, there'll yeah. be be one thing to think of but you know I've there's plenty of podcasts out there that are done with guys talking to each other over Skype so it's not that's not an impossible thing no you know? biggie the main one uh, no agenda that I can think of is just like two guys they don't they never meet each other and they they talk over Skype you know that's how they do the whole show so it can definitely be done all that technology and crap technology but uh, I want to thank you Bobby for being here well, thanks I want for to having th- me. I want to thank yeah. Luke for not being here. Not right being now. here again. <laughs> and <laughs> and my first one wasn't his fault. Well, thank you, Luke, for uh, not being here today because uh, we didn't have an extra pair of microphones. So. <laughs> but uh, we'll try to see if uh, we get to get Zach, who was uh, helping us out for a little while. Maybe he'll be in here. So. If you come in on the Skype, we'll probably have like four people on this show now. It'll be like a damn free-for-all out here. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> But uh, I don't exactly know 
who's going to be guests next time. I'm trying to get the Tennessee Ray Chasers down, you know, so they're, I know they're all Hollywood now and stuff, and that's a joke, guys. But uh, I'm trying to get them in, and uh, got a few uh, things out to some other people. I really want to get somebody in and ha- during Halloween uh, time to talk about the Bell Witch, which I think would be really, really cool for the show. So uh want to thank Stephen Lachance and you, of course, Bobby. And uh, say goodbye to everybody, Bobby. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. I will see you soon, and... Live young and prosper or something. <laughs> yeah, we'll see Bobby somewhere on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I thank everybody. Oh, Thanks for listening to... I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified. classified enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.